0: And just like that, we were back. Another week upon us, the first of two weekly editions of the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate, happy to have you along. So many five star reviews coming in. I've asked you for them. You continue to deliver them. We're over 700 now, and we want those. So please, if you haven't already, give us a five star review and subscribe to the podcast. The few of you out there who, for some inexplicable reason, would listen but not subscribe. I don't think there are many of you out there who do that. So. Let me move on. We're also over 30,000 subscribers on the 24 seven sports YouTube channel. That's blowing up. We're getting all kind of positive gratification from the high level mustaches at CBS. So thank you so much for that. Cause that's all on you. That's not on me. We could put videos on there all day long. If you don't subscribe and watch them, no one really cares. And we're all out of jobs here. So thank you so much for that. We've got such a loaded podcast this morning. I mean, wall to wall, you guys really came with it this week and I made a subtle change in the show. And I don't know, somebody out there may already have picked up on it. It's been brought to my attention recently that in the last few editions of the Late Kick Extra podcast, I sounded like I had a cold. And I haven't had a cold. You can't, if you have a cold these days, you better hide it because you know good and well what's going to happen to you. They're throwing you in quarantine city for about the next year and a half. So I haven't had a cold, real or hidden. But I went back and listened, and these certain people close to me, even related to me, were right. I sounded like I had a cold. Well, what was happening was... I was getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning, really earlier than that, like 4.45, 4.50-ish because I wanted to be done by 6. And I was recording these things super early on Tuesday mornings. And I sound like that in the mornings. It's a good thing we do our live shows at night. And so I have made the executive decision to record really, really late on Monday night. Probably going to come back to bite me. Our Tuesdays are extremely long around here. It's 5 a.m. to midnight, probably. What is that? Like a 18, 19 hour day. Tuesdays are jam packed. Tuesdays are just loaded. It's it's been podcast in the morning. I record with Wilt Fong. I've got a couple of meetings in mid morning. I got to put an entire show together. Late kick live later that night. Uh, we got radio hits that we do midday and early afternoon. Go get the show put together. Colin's got to get all the elements done. We do the show. We come back. We cut the show up. We put the individual VODs on YouTube and on web. And in the midst of all that, hopefully we can make it to the gym. Hopefully. That's tough on Tuesdays, but it could be worse. I could actually have to work for a living instead of just deal with college football all day, which you allow me to do. So thank you so much for that. We have got a lot to get to. We waste no more time than I already have. Let's dive into this thing late, late, late on a Monday night for your listening enjoyment on a Tuesday morning. Dale is going to kick us off. Dale says, flat out do you still think Lincoln Riley is the right man for Oklahoma like you said he was a month ago? Yes, Dale, I do. I sense sarcasm. I don't know if I typed it that way in the document here or if you actually said it that way. Yeah, I think Lincoln Riley is still the guy. Let me dive into this for just a second. Not too deep because I I want to be rapid fire on this. Dale, I want you to, I don't know how old you are, Dale. I'm just going to pretend like you're 50 years old. So I want you to go back in time. Go back in time with me, even if you're 20 years old. Got a lot of younger guys and girls who listen to this. Just go back in time and pretend like you were alive in 1990, even if you weren't. In 1990, the world of college football as it existed then, here was the year-over-year advancement. Here's the way you climb the ladder. You cut your teeth as a grad assistant, and then hopefully you got a lower-level job. Maybe you interned somewhere, and eventually you got on the field as a position coach at a really lower-level school, and then you worked your way up to position coach in what modern-day fans would call the Power Five. And then maybe after about 10 years, you got yourself a coordinator position, and then you finally got to be a head coach, again, at the bottom rungs of the ladder in what you would call FCS now or G5 even, and then you work your way up and you go, I always use Toledo for some reason. I go Toledo and then spend a few years there, learn out of the bright spotlight. And then you go to like Utah and then you uh, get a job at Arkansas and then South Carolina and then Georgia. That's the way you used to have to climb the ladder. Think about Lincoln Riley's career progression. Did he do any of that? Kirby Smart's at Georgia. Did he do any of that? Ryan Day is at Ohio State. Did he do any of that? The world has changed. Okay. Now, I'm not bemoaning the fact that the world of college football has changed. It's great. Like, these guys are qualified to have their jobs. I'm not saying they're not. What I'm saying to you, Dale, and a lot of other people who are just choosing to, every single mistake that's made, try and write these dudes off, like Lincoln Riley right now. there has been to the playoff like every year. And now it looks like maybe not so fast this year. you got to understand something. Lincoln Riley, just like all these other guys, they've still got to learn the hard lessons. They've still got to make the big mistakes, just like you used to when you were a head coach for the first time in any era of college football. The difference is, if it were 1990, go back in time now, if we make the mistake at Wisconsin-Whitewater, or University of Buffalo. No one knows about it. I mean, we got a few dozen people in the stands. I'm not going to say that. Okay. You guys get good crowds. I'm not, uh, you know what I mean? though. you're not making the mistake in front of a hundred thousand people. There aren't four or five million people watching at home. You don't have seven different websites doing a million hits a day worth of traffic solely focused on your program. And you got this white hot spotlight on you. You don't have that at the outpost that you used to start and cut your teeth at. So what I'm saying is, Nick Saban, a generation ago, he learned these lessons. Like He made the mistakes too. He just did it out of the spotlight. And then by the time he got to LSU, for example, guy knew what he was doing. He had really refined his methodology. How do we not know, Dale, that Lincoln Riley has, has pushed some buttons on the recruiting trail, in his hiring process, in his, in his roster and personnel evaluations that he doesn't like? And he's learning. And he made a mistake, and he's learning from it. He's going to learn from it. He's going to be better from it. How do we know that's not what's happening right now? And this is just a byproduct of it. For all we know, that's all there is to it. For all we know. So no, I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to punt on Lincoln Riley. Yes, I do still believe he's the right guy for Oklahoma. And believe it or not, it is Red River Shootout weekend. Don't let anyone call it anything other than that. We got questions about Tom Herman coming up, too. Next up is Kyle, and I uh, got this last minute, so let me pull up on the, on the old iJosh here. Okay, here we go. Kyle said, I've been listening since last year. I really started listening to every episode this year. I'm a subscriber. Great work. Thank you, Kyle. Normally, I don't read through the accolades, but hey, on the fly here. I have a question about a I believe it was Sunday's episode where you said that a did about what you'd expect the top 25 caliber team to do against Alabama, do you think A&M has a good chance of beating or at least being competitive with Florida this Saturday? First part of the question, yes, I do. I think it's a huge game. I think its importance can't be overstated. Not many A&M fans I know expected them to beat Alabama. Alabama's in largely a class of their own in, at the very least the SEC West. However, what we did hear coming out of that game is the same figure being thrown around. And it is 75 zero, 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 $75 million. That's what he's been guaranteed. He being Jimbo Fisher. And you're not happy when you, uh, what, what result would they get? What are they getting about a $20 million result? instead so the 75 million, I don't know how to quantify all that. I just know that they're, they're not on par with what they want to be relative to their investment. I had a whole diatribe about that Sunday night. I do not believe you, you just throw money at something and it automatically fixes it. Brandon Marcello put out something on Twitter during that game or right after that game. And I was kind of going back and forth with him on there. And he made that point. He said, listen, in this part of the country, we just throw money at the problem until it gets fixed. And that's kind of the attitude. The attitude with Jimbo Fisher was, all right, well, you know, if we we only pay this man $50 million, then maybe he'll come here and go eight and four. But if we pay him 75 million, then he'll go 11 and one. And I'm just like, He's the same person, no matter how much. You could pay him $150 million. You could pay him $200 trillion. He is who he is, is the point. And you can only build so many facilities. You can only hire so many assistant coaches. Like You've gotten what you've got. And Jimbo Fisher's not changing anything. He doesn't think he needs to. What he was got him this deal. You think he gets paid and then says, all right, time for me to change. Heck no, nor would you. You did what you do, and they paid you because of you being who you are. Why would you change? So don't get mad at, well, this is my viewpoint. Now you guys can do whatever you want to. It's, it's your fanhood. It's your team. But I don't get mad at the coach who is being exactly who he is. I get mad at the folks who thought throwing a bunch of money at him was going to change him. This is who Jimbo Fisher is. Now, having said that, uh, this weekend's a big game because this is not Alabama coming in town this weekend. This is Florida the line on this game is not 18 or 19. The line on this game is six or seven, and it's in your backyard. And they are in what we call wounded animal mode. I kind of stole that from JC Sherbert, but I love it so much. I, I use it to the degree that people think I made it up. So if you already thought I did, I've properly attributed Sherbert, but I don't think I'm going to do it anymore. Um, Sherbert's got a lot of good ones if you, uh, if you listen to him closely. So they got to win Saturday, man, but so does Florida. Florida's looking around and they know Bama's Got Georgia coming in in a couple of weeks. So Florida knows, hey, we may have a one-game lead already on Georgia before we ever even play them. And, hey, they got Tennessee this week. Who knows what happens there? We're going to talk about it in a little while. But uh, Florida's got to take care of business too. I mean, they're favored by a touchdown on the road here. You know, there's a difference that I've seen between Florida and Bama. They both have really explosive passing games. I don't know that Florida is capable of getting quite the disruption defensively that Alabama is. In fact, I know they're not right now. There's There's no second-guessing that a has got to take advantage of that. I don't think Helen Mond played that poorly against Alabama. They were just overwhelmed. Maybe they atoned for that Saturday against Texas A&M. Good question, though. I think we can revisit this one, Kyle, after that game and talk about the rest of the season at that point. Alright, next up. Now this is this is five questions in one. So we're just gonna kinda we're gonna be like a stone with a really flat surface, and we're gonna submarine that thing, and it's just gonna skim over the pond, and we're gonna hit all of these questions here, not quite in one breath, but not too many more breaths than that. So don't all of you start thinking you can send a six-pack of questions and I'm just gonna answer them all. I probably would though. Alright, here we go. First question is. Does the Big Ten and Pac-12's initial decision to cancel the season hurt their team's recruiting efforts? No, I don't think any more disproportionately than they would have anyway. Number two, can I leave a review for the podcast on Spotify? No, take it up with Spotify, not me. That's why I always talk about Apple podcasts, and you guys think I'm excluding all of you who don't listen on an iPhone, and I'm not. It's just that whatever we use, and it's above my, I don't say pay grade, it's above my interest in diving into such analytical things to know why we value the Apple side of things so much, but we do. So that's why I ask on the Apple side of things. And I tell you guys, if you use an Android or whatnot, and you can't leave a review, just find one of your friends who has an iPhone, steal it, but it's only two minutes. So two minute rule is borrowing two minutes or less. It's just borrowing and get in there and subscribe to this podcast on their phone and leave a review. I had, I kind of kiddingly challenged you guys to do that a couple of weeks ago. I had so many people leaving reviews and it said, Hey, I'm on my sister's phone. Hey, I'm on my brother's phone. I I think at one point a sister brother switched their phones. I I don't know. Same last names. And it was not a common last name, but in any event, no, you can't leave a review on Spotify. Don't ask me why. I don't even know why I don't even want to know why third question. I'm having a second date with a girl. She's coming over to my house I'm going to cook her dinner. What should I make? A phone call. If you're not confident in your skills, a phone call to someone who is confident. It's okay to outsource. We outsource things all the time. Okay, I've been outsourcing my cooking forever. Ramen noodles, eggs, and anything that can go in a microwave. Above that, yeah, man, I'm outsourcing. Listen, look how great I turned out, right? Hey, I'm sitting here at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning recording a podcast. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to be this? Number four, do y'all sell merchandise? If you did, I'd love to buy some. All right, the merchandise question. The answer right now is no. Um, I don't want to be an instigator. I would, just, I would just subtly advise you that if you're interested in that kind of thing, keep saying you are. I'll leave that there. If you, if you, guys, if you dig the idea of late kick merchandise, just keep speaking about it very loudly. Okay, kick that hornet's nest. Let's move on. Fifth question here. You've said in the past that apathy is the worst thing that can happen to a football program. How do programs overcome it? You're right. I've always said anger is not the worst thing. If your fan base is angry, at least they're still engaged. Apathy is, is cancer, figuratively, for a football program. Because once they're apathetic, that just means they've walked away. And they don't care whether you win or lose. They're just gone that's death for a program. The only way to overcome that is to use the metaphor I always use, which is torch the barn, kill the rats. It is a ground up rebuild. You got to salt the earth. You got to completely cleanse everything about your program. You don't want to let it get there is the point. That's why you got to take preventative measures ahead of time. Because once your fan, once apathy sets in on your fan base, no amount of hard work can overcome that. They're gone. You're not even working for anyone. They're gone. Next up is John. Here we go. Can you talk about what you think about Tom Herman's job security if he loses to Oklahoma Saturday? It seems like a lot of us Texas fans think Urban Meyer might be our next coach. Oh, John. Okay. Well, firstly, uh, this is in a very macabre sort of way. The most fascinating aspect of this game to me is someone's losing. I mean, last week, You had, what did we have? We had Oklahoma coming off the Kansas State loss. We had Texas coming off the near disaster against Texas Tech. So you assumed, and I kind of made a point of this in one of last week's shows, you assumed that neither would be in any kind of look-ahead mode. Normally, if you got OU Texas on deck, you got to kind of keep an eye on those teams, even if they're playing inferior competition the week before, because that Red River shootout is such a big game, sometimes you can get caught looking ahead. Well, I thought with what had happened the week prior, they would have total focus on last week. And hey, they didn't, but I'm not even sure that that's what you can blame those losses on. They, they, I mean, Oklahoma at Iowa State, I, I don't know that they look like the far superior team up there. My Cyclones, by the way, getting the win there. Still undefeated in conference play are the Iowa State Cyclones. And as for Texas... I mean, what, what what did we see in that Texas Tech game? We saw a litany of penalties. We saw self-inflicted wounds. We saw all sorts of things, procedural in nature, terrible situational awareness that you always go to the post-game press conference and you say something like, well, we're going to have to clean that up. Like it's a spill on aisle four. We'll just clean this stuff up. Well, you didn't because it was spilled right back all over everyone's television screen against TCU. So here we are. And, The game is obviously what the spotlight's on, but after the game, um, you know, I've done my research and I have discovered someone's got to lose. They can't tie this thing. Someone's got to lose. Can you imagine that life? If Lincoln Riley is toting three L's in a row, if Tom Herman has lost to Oklahoma, an Oklahoma, either way, the loser is going to look at the other and say, we couldn't even beat them when they're in total disarray. That's what life is going to be like. So uh, the job security will be nil, to put it bluntly. If Tom Herman loses against Oklahoma Saturday, Matt is next up. I want you to note, by the way, we got a question coming up from Kale. So Kale, uh, you're a little ways down the list here, bud. But I want you to pay attention. We've had what do we have? We had a Oklahoma question. We had a Pac-12 question. Big Ten question. Uh, we had a Texas question there. Now we got a Wisconsin question. Not a lot of SEC in this show so far. Kale, pay attention. <laughs> it's coming, as is your question, Kale. So Matt says, with the loss of Jack Cohn, that's a Wisconsin quarterback. He's out for an extended period of time. With the loss of Cohn for the Wisconsin Badgers, what is your outlook on this offense? Would you still consider them the favorite in the West? Yes, I would. I would still consider them the favorite in the West. I, I think a lot of you got what you wanted. You didn't want the injury, certainly, but a lot of you in, in Wisconsin circles have been calling for Graham Mertz, who is a guy a lot of you are familiar with. I don't know nationally if that's a name that kind of bends the needle very much, but that's who's going to end up getting these starting reps until Jack Cohn's back, and then you'll have a decision to make up there. But basically, the thinking in Wisconsin circles has been Jack Cohn has taken us as far as he can take us and we've wrung every ounce of potential out of the offense with him leading it, and you feel like he could play until he's 45 years old, and he'd just be a returning starter every year, but he's not returning and getting better. He has maximized his potential. He's a a really good quarterback, really solid quarterback, but you guys know that you probably need a great quarterback in order to overcome Ohio State, uh, theoretically, in a Big Ten championship game. So is Graham Mertz that? Well, you don't know, but you think that potentially the reward is higher with him at quarterback. And it may be. uh, You guys know more about your program than I do. I've heard the whispers, just like you have. Important to note, he's not a true freshman. He was there last year. There was a battle last year. So just remember what you normally have at Wisconsin in an identity for this offense, I don't know that you have this year. It'd be nice if we had this quarterback battle going on or if we had a new quarterback being broken in, but you had two or three potentially dynamite running backs. Maybe you do, but we don't know their names yet nationally. I'll say that. So uh, that offense, big question mark, I think is safe to say, but I can still say I respect the program there and the system that they have in place there so much that I would still, even with the question marks, make them the preseason favorite in the Big Ten uh, West. All right, moving on here. Next up is Corey. I love those videos you did where you told behind-the-scenes stories. I gotta believe you have some stories for Kiffin. It seems like this is the week to share those. Corey, you read my mind, my friend. Corey, I think you would be very wise to tune in to Late Kick Live tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Because I got some Kiffin stories, and I'm dropping them tonight. They're pretty good. Now, granted, these are the ones I can tell on air. So... It's about 40% of the Kiffin stories I have, but they're really good. One of them I think I've told before, but I'm going to kind of extend off of it into a a bigger picture situation tonight. So tune in for that. Next up is Connor. This is kind of a Georgia question, even though he didn't specifically state it uh, through red and black lenses. Connor says, I was trying to think of any time when a quarterback who was the preseason fourth string started a game during the season. Can you think of any? No, I can't, Connor. I know that you said in your question, I kind of cut it off. You went back to twenty fourteen, that's where Cardell Jones was third string at Ohio State, and then he ends up winning him a national championship. and that in and of itself was pretty unprecedented, but we're talking about a fourth string guy at Georgia right now who you could write a whole book on what the twenty twenty season has been for Georgia yet, and what are we going into week three? So yeah, week three for them. I mean, remember this. remember any preseason magazine you bought out there, if you bought the regional covers. I actually don't know who was on the covers this year, but Jamie Newman had to be featured prominently. He transfers from Wake Forest. Like that's the guy. We're going to couple him up with Todd Munkin, new offensive coordinator. And that's what's going to push Georgia this year. And coupled with this defense, they have that offense. They're going to be good enough to win a national title. And then he throws up the deuces and he opts out, but that's okay. Cause JT Daniels transferred in and Kirby wisely pursued him and kept him from going to Tennessee somewhere else. And now, lo and behold, we got a former five-star guy in JT Daniels. He'll be the guy, but he's not medically cleared. Okay, well, he'll eventually be cleared. But until that time, Dewan Mathis, has anyone heard this name? Oh, my goodness. He's been making some moves in camp. And then he is deer in headlights in week one against Arkansas. In steps, Stetson Bennett. I hope you guys watched the broadcast the other night when they were playing Auburn. Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet and the national uh, ESPN crew They told a story that a lot of us had heard behind the scenes about a month and a half ago, that coaching staff meeting with Stetson Bennett and telling him, "Uh, listen, I mean, we got to make business decisions here, and we probably don't have a future for you here at quarterback. Fast forward a month and a half, he's starting against Auburn, winning against Auburn. I don't know that wins are a quarterback stat, but he is the winning quarterback against Auburn, and now he's the guy at least for the time being, according to Kirby Smart, and he's very careful to phrase it like that, he, for the time being, is the guy for Georgia. I think ultimately, and I've I've made this point pretty unequivocally, I think the ultimate ceiling of this team is below SEC championship caliber if he remains quarterback there. It's a good story. I, You've heard me caveat this to death. Okay, I'm not hating on the guy. I'm just telling you it, it, they need JT Daniels ultimately. They need that ability. They need that kind of arm talent because they're going to have to score doesn't mean you're not shutting everybody out. Everybody's not Auburn. Okay. People will be able to dent the scoreboard, even against this defense, believe it or not. And it doesn't have to happen every week. This is not a, a sport where you go six and four and make the playoff. This is a sport where you got to win pretty much every week. And so Georgia has got to win pretty much every week. And if they you know, lose one game, they're already in zero margin for error territory. They got to be able to stretch the field a little bit, but it is a remarkable story. Now it is a truly remarkable story unfolding there. Casey, next up. Casey, this is a great point you're going to make. Very important point. I think societally, culturally, personally, emotionally, this is an important point for me. Casey says, I think it's crazy how you're always talking about Fleetwood Mac and that song Dreams, and now it's gone viral. Yeah, it is crazy, isn't it, Casey? It's crazy, but I'm going I'm to tell you what's really crazy in just a second. If you're unaware of what Casey's talking about, um, I've chosen not to engage on TikTok yet. Probably will eventually it's just not it's not a platform that fascinates me or, or captures me, but a lot of you are on there, and so you've seen the dude who just records videos himself riding around I guess on a skateboard, chugging of all things cranberry juice, which is a lovely concoction. I love cranberry juice. I don't normally chug it from the carton while riding a skateboard and listening to Fleetwood Mac, but I don't think it's the worst life choice in the world, and so this dude records himself listening to Dreams, which is the greatest song in the history of music. Just want you to know that Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. Greatest song in history. It's been my favorite song since I was like seven years old and heard it for the first time on Sunny 100 in the back of my mom's Honda in Columbus, Georgia. Sunny 100 has since gone to another format of whence we will not speak, but Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. Goat. G-O-A-T. Goat. And so it's gone viral. Now, here's what really aggravated me. It's made me happy that a bunch of people have all of a sudden started hearing the song for the first time. Because let me tell you, let me tell you, let me pause button right here. I don't have children. I'm not one to criticize parents, except for this moment right now. If you are a parent and your child of any age is hearing Dreams by Fleetwood Mac for the first time in a TikTok video with a skateboarding dude chugging cranberry juice, you have failed your children as a parent. They should have heard the greatness of Fleetwood Mac long before TikTok ever came around. It's not too late. Okay, I, I, to my knowledge, they probably haven't heard Rihanna or Go Your Own Way or Gypsy or Sarah or Little Lies, The Chain. So Goldust Woman, let's go ahead and introduce them to those songs as well. You can, you can right the wrongs of your parenting right now, today. Just go pick up Rumors and just drop it off in their room. However, let me get back to my point. What made me mad the other day, Casey, was I log on to Twitter. Follow me there, by the way, at Late Kick Josh. And I see the LA Times has a story trending. And it says something to the degree of Fleetwood Mac's Dreams gains popularity as it goes viral in a video. No, friends, Dreams didn't gain popularity when it went viral in 2020. It gained popularity when it was released in the late 70s, long before I was born. But hey, that matter, three-year-old, four-year-old Josh could recognize greatness just as much as I can today. That's when it gained popularity. That's when it achieved greatness status, the moment it was released. All right, I think we've covered enough Fleetwood Mac in this college football podcast, if that's possible. Let's move it on. Palmer is next up. Palmer, sounds like he's at a kind of a moral crossroads here. He says, how can I convince my fellow Georgia fans and friends that Tennessee needs to be taken seriously? All I hear from them is that Tennessee sucks, they've only played bad teams, and Pruitt is far from having them competitive in the SEC East. I personally think Tennessee has a better roster top to bottom than Auburn. Let me work backwards here, Palmer. All right, let me let me read the last sentence of this question. Kind of submission, I guess, by Palmer. Tell me if you believe this. I'm talking to you, the listening audience now. Tell me if you believe what Palmer just said. I personally think... Tennessee has a better roster, top to bottom, than Auburn. Do you believe that? A lot of you are shaking your head, no, and I understand why. That is not the perception out there, is it? The perception out there is Jeremy Pruitt is still building, and whatever Tennessee's going to be down the road, they're still a long ways away from it. Auburn is whatever they are. They've been established. They've got several recruiting classes stacked on top of each other now. So you know, Malzahn's been a, a pretty consistent force there. They haven't won a national title, but they've been good. They've beaten Alabama quite a few times. And so they're normally competitive. Auburn's roster has got to be better than Tennessee, right? And so they played Georgia last week. They were only a touchdown underdog. And you don't go into Athens as a single digit underdog if you don't have a good roster, right? I agree with that. Okay. So I pull up 247sports.com. I go to our team talent composite rating, which is essentially just uh, using former recruiting rankings to measure how much talent you have on your roster. I don't think you'd be surprised to learn Auburn is in the top 15. They're number 13. I think you'd be shocked to know that Tennessee is number 14. So we essentially perceive them roster-wise as being dead even with Auburn. Palmer, I think you're making a sound point here, and you're not alone. I said as soon as that Auburn-Georgia game ended, I tweeted it out. I took a lot of flack for it. I don't really care because I believe it's true. I said Tennessee versus Georgia is going to be what you wanted Auburn versus Georgia to be. What you wanted is a two-way bloodbath. You wanted wrecking balls smashing against each other. You wanted dominant offensive and defensive line play, and you got it one way in Georgia-Auburn. I think you'll get it two ways in Tennessee-Georgia. I think you're right, Palmer. I like Tennessee's roster more than Auburn right now. I think Tennessee matches up with Georgia better than Auburn. I'd be more worried about Tennessee if I were a Georgia fan than, well, of course, it's easy to say in retrospect, than I would be Auburn. uh, And I would not have said that probably before the Auburn game. So that's really easy. That's hindsight quarterbacking. We don't try not to do that on the podcast. I'll just say this knowing what we know now, if Tennessee played Auburn this week, I'd pick Tennessee to beat Auburn. That's what I'm saying. I think they're a better team right now. That's what I'm saying. And they possess, along the lines of scrimmage, better personnel than Auburn has. I like the head coach at Tennessee better than I do at Auburn. And that one is still with shades of gray on it because he hasn't achieved. I just think Jeremy Pruitt, if I were to choose one from this point moving forward, I think I'd get more out of Pruitt, is what I'm saying. So I like what they have going on there. You're a fool if you're not taking Tennessee seriously. Because the last part of that, what I was going to kind of piggyback on. If you don't believe Palmer when he says it, and you don't believe me when I say it, Kirby Smart stepped to the podium this morning. I'm recording this late, late Monday, early Tuesday. He stepped to the podium Monday morning and said, "Uh, Tennessee's roster is better than Auburn's. Tennessee's better along the lines of scrimmage than Auburn. This is not just normal practice for Kirby Smart. He doesn't just volunteer that stuff every week. He's not one of those guys. When he says it, he usually just means it. He's usually just being truthful, and he is being truthful. He's right. Tennessee's better than Auburn right now, and they're certainly better and probably match up better with Georgia, and he knows that. They had confidence. I, let me tell you something. Georgia was very confident. When they watched that Kentucky tape, I was listening to Rusty Manziel talk about this, and it was so true. They knew they could abuse Auburn at the offensive tackle positions. They knew when they were on the field offensively, they could run straight at Auburn. Kentucky did it. Georgia knew they could do it. Do they think the same thing about Tennessee? We'll see. All right. Kale mentioned him earlier. It's time, Kale. Kale is talking about SEC bias, and he is labeling yours truly a big fat stamp on the forehead SEC bias. And I've got to defend my good name, and I'm going to do it right after this. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Are anyone stronger? No. Cut! Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! We're back. Let's get right down to it, Kale. You and me and the listening audience watching on. Kale says, why are your shows always so tilted to the SEC? Bro, can't you talk about more teams? Kale, here's what you just did. You just took the opportunity that you could have used to submit a question about Arizona State or North Dakota State or Kansas. I don't care. And instead of actually submitting a non-SEC question, you complained about all the other folks who submit SEC questions. I don't know if you've realized this, Cale. It sounds like you listen to the podcast, and I appreciate you doing it. I don't know if you've realized this. This is not formatted. I don't write this. When you watch Late Kick Live, I write those. I'm largely still listening to the audience, but at least I come up with those. I produce those. I have EP role on that. I don't produce this. Cale, the only thing I do for these Late Kick Extra podcasts is two things. One of them is copy, and the other one is paste. Right into a Word document, which is in front of me right now. I'm looking at your name as we speak. C-A-L-E, Kale. Kale, you can go look, brother. All these are public. You can see them all. Go look in the podcast review section. Some people leave the questions there. Some people tweet me the questions. Some people email the questions. I guess those aren't public, but all I'm doing is copying and pasting them. I mean, we just had... What do we have? We had Wisconsin question. We had Big 12 questions. I'm just copying and pasting what you send. Kale, how big a dereliction of duty would it be to me if I, or to you, I guess, the listening audience, if I got 15 Tennessee questions and I got no USC questions, but I talked about USC proportionate to Tennessee? How stupid would that be? Kale, if you ran a podcast, let me ask you this, and 85% of the questions submitted were SEC related, how would you balance the time on your podcast? Because I'm telling you right now, if I open this inbox for the Thursday edition, because we do two of these a week, so if I get 100 Pac-12 questions and no SEC questions for the Thursday, late kick extra, we're headed west. Without provocation, we're headed west. I couldn't care less. I watch all college football, Kale. I watch it all. So I'm perfectly comfortable talking about everything. But here's what I'm not dumb enough to do. I'm not dumb enough to format the show for me. I'm not the audience. I format the show for you. You are the audience. If I format it for me, that's an audience of one. And that really doesn't go very far. I format it for you. And it's very simple. You write the show for me. I just copy and paste. Like I said, so Cale, the reason there's so much SEC on here is because you want SEC on here. Simple as that, brother. You had your opportunity and you have another opportunity every single show I do to get me off the SEC. Like we did multiple times already in this podcast, as it turns out. Michael's next. Kale, you're going to love this one. We're talking about... Where, is it? where are my drums? I don't have a drum roll. Grrr. That's it. I never was able to do the roll the tongue thing. Anyway, Kale, we're talking about the SEC. Turn that volume up to 11, brother. Michael says, I've got to ask a Tennessee question before I lose the ability to. Let's say we upset Georgia or maybe Florida. And even if we lose to Alabama, let's just say we're sitting eight and two, both losses coming to likely top five teams. Are we sitting out of the SEC championship game? And if we are, are we still in the talks for the playoff? Michael, I cannot in good faith answer this question yet. So many hypotheticals, so many unknowns. And it's a Tennessee playoff question. And Michael, as much as I'd love to see it for you guys, it's a bridge too far as we sit here on October 6th. So there's the brake pedal right down there. Let's pump it and let's focus on Athens GA Saturday. All right. It's for it's for the best, Michael. It's for the best. Vanden is next. Vanden asks, could you possibly talk about the significance of Demarcus Bowman transferring from Clemson to Florida on the next Late Kick Live? Well, Vanden is probably not a, a broad enough topic for me to hit on there, but I will hit on it here. Uh, this is interesting. You know, this is, it's not a crack in the veneer of Clemson or anything like that, but it is significant. This was a big time player that they got from the state of Florida. And now he is transferring back to Florida. He's not doing it right this second. I don't think, I think at the last update, he's going to be there in the spring. So it's not like he's going to play Saturday against A&M or anything like that. But he, he also is, uh, not playing against Miami for Clemson Saturday. So this is a guy who's ultra talented. He had not immediately cracked the depth chart. And for whatever reason, he's out of there. It's good. Because I don't care how you acquire talent. Just get the talent. Brenton Cox right now is a big contributor for Florida. They didn't sign him out of high school. He went to Georgia. You know, so Derek King, since Clemson's playing Miami Saturday, you remember when he committed to Miami out of high school? I don't. I remember when he transferred from Houston. Um, This is the way of the world, man. You get that talent however you can. And what is the one knock? Well, maybe the one of, of a few knocks that you've had on the Florida coaching staff. What, what is it? Recruiting. They haven't been able to recruit quite at an elite level. Okay, well, maybe there's more than one way to get elite talent on your roster. Just do it. By any means necessary. Florida's a Nike school. Just do it. Author, next up, is South Carolina at a crossroads as a football program? Two losses in games that felt like with better coaching, we could be one and one in. Arthur, yes, they are. I felt like they were at a crossroads before the season even started because it was hard for me to envision this season. Uh, It was really hard for me to envision it approaching 500. Certainly hard for me to envision anything more. And for a fan base whose opinion of their coaching staff was already on shaky ground at best, I didn't know what that was going to bring. And I certainly don't know what the end of this season is going to bring. You're right. Uh, I think you're right. And the bad part is, you know, it would be reasonable if Muschamp was working in good faith on several good years and he had just replaced his coordinator in the middle of a pandemic, people would be willing to give him some rope. I don't think they're willing to right now. So yes, they're absolutely at a crossroads. Next up is Hayden. I'm an Auburn fan and I'm mad, says Hayden. Gus has been here seven years and there's no excuse to be manhandled like we were Saturday. What do you think about the situation? Do you see a way Auburn can improve offensively with the current cats we have up front? No, I don't. Caden, I've got to be honest with you. They can improve enough to win some games in conference, but if they, let's say they were to somehow play Georgia again later in the year, SEC championship game, whatever. If the same players are on the field, did you get the sense when you were watching that game the other night? If they played that game 10 times, did you get the sense Auburn would ever win any of those? It's there was so little variance in the game. If it were a, if it were a game where You had teams like Mississippi State playing, where they throw the ball so much, and so you could have tip passes, you could have fumbles, you could have so many weird bounces of the ball happen that one game to the next, you could have wild swings in the final score. Well, when all you're doing is you're just taking a sledgehammer and just beating people to death with it, and they can't do anything about it, they can't stop it, like their arms are handcuffed, in other words, what's the variance? How would that be different one game to the next? I don't think it would. I just don't think Auburn has the horses. They don't. They got leaned on, man. They really, they got so thoroughly bludgeoned. They didn't want any more of that. In fact, it was long before that fourth quarter was over. I'm not saying they quit. I'm just saying they knew what was happening. You don't think those players knew what was happening? That was demoralizing. It was bad. I I can understand how you guys feel. It was bad watching that. And I'm just sitting there neutrally observing. That's bad. No, Hayden. I think you got what you got right now. Uh, They didn't set the world on fire against Kentucky in week one either. And so they've got big games coming up. I mean, they've they've still got several of them. They got to play Tennessee. Tennessee can do the exact same thing to you Georgia did the other day. Tennessee right now, I think they've got a better offensive line than Georgia's. And Georgia's is good. You saw what Georgia's was able to do to you. Tennessee may have a better one than that. Alabama's got a better one than both of them. They are brutal. They're in for a brutal stretch Hayden, I agree with you. Here's what you want to do. If you want to do something fascinating and you want to talk about inexcusable, which is the word you used, and I agree, go look at the starting five for Auburn on the offensive line and then look up what they were in high school. Most of them weren't even offensive linemen. The ones who were, were very lightly recruited. And you got to ask yourself, this is not the second year in in Gus Malzahn's tenure. He's been there since 2013 now, seven or eight years, whatever it is. And that's the unit you're, to- you're-, you're-, you're sending that unit out there and expecting to contend for an SEC championship. Wow. All right, Coleman's going to wrap us up here. Coleman says, Josh, do you believe the 2017 season still looms over the Georgia program? The success Georgia had that season seems to define the expectation for Georgia the last couple of seasons. Should expectations be tempered? Absolutely not, Coleman. Absolutely not. I don't care if 2017 didn't happen. I, what if they went 8 and 4 that year? What what does Georgia have? They've got according to our numbers the most talented roster in America. What should the expectation be? If the expectation at Alabama is championship and Clemson and Ohio State, why in the world should you take a back seat in the expectation department? I don't care that you haven't done it since 1980. Couldn't care less. That has nothing to do with what you're capable of from this point moving forward. Clemson, you remember when Clemson in in 2015, they faced Alabama in a national championship and Bama had already won three of them under Saban and Clemson hadn't won one in who knows how long. And I remember people making predictions on that game saying, well, I'm going to pick Alabama because they've, they've just done it. Look how many championships they have. I didn't care. I didn't care by the way, Clemson, the very next year, they beat Alabama. All of a sudden, they had won a championship. You don't win them. You don't have them until you win them. I mean, that's the whole point. that That's not what ever stopped Clemson. What stopped Clemson was not having the right pieces in place, not having the right infrastructure in place. Well, once you get all that, all of a sudden, those barriers that looked insurmountable, they're not insurmountable anymore, and you win. And Georgia has it in place now. The, the, you have one final hurdle. You've won the SEC. You've been in the playoffs. You've won a semifinal. You've gone to a national championship game. There's only one hurdle left. It's crimson in nature. You're going to play him in under two weeks, and you may get him again in Atlanta. Who knows? You may see him three times this year. Wouldn't that be fascinating? But Coleman, expectation is what this sport's all about, man. This is not the NFL. It's not built on a foundation of parity, you don't get punished for your success. You get rewarded for it. The better you are, the more recruits want to come play for you. The better you are, the more money they pump into your facilities. The better you are, the more the higher-paid coaches want to come there and you can afford to pay them. Everything's tilted towards Georgia and about 10 or 15 other teams in this sport if they've got their you-know-what together. Georgia's got it together. They're going to win a national championship. Their expectations should be no lower than the very best at Georgia. All right. If you haven't already, subscribe everywhere—the YouTube channel. Follow me on Twitter at Late Kick Josh, and also leave us a five-star review here. We got such a loaded show tonight on the 24/7 Sports YouTube channel, Late Kick Live. We are on the air at eight Eastern, seven Central tonight. We are predicting games. We're breaking down games. We are picking straight up and against the spread. And I've got Lane Kiffin's stories. Like I told you, we have got a jam-packed show. Hope you'll join us tonight. Thank you for joining us this morning. For producer Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. This has been the Late Kick Extra podcast. Have a great day and God bless.